Gino and the Masters of the Vegaverse! I'm Scott, house husband in Napa, California, and defender of the secrets of Sensational Manor. This is Albert, my fearless friend. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me the day I held aloft my USB microphone and said, By the power of Sensational Manor, I have the power! Albert became Team Wundle, and I became Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, the most mediocre podcaster in the universe. Only three others share this secret. Our friends, Icy Robots, Joe C., and maybe someone else who listens to the show. Together we defend Sensational Manor from the evil forces of Engineer Nerd and 89 Batman. And folks, it is me, it is me, it is Mr. Sensational Gino V welcoming you to a very special episode 58 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast in which we will begin this week with a new feature that I mentioned last week inspired by the goings-on in the recently ended first season of the world's famous IC Robot show right here, the flagship show right here on the IC Robots radio network. That's right, folks. If you are listening to this and you are not somehow already subscribed to the network, go over to your preferred podcast platform of choice, look up IC Robots radio, hit like, hit subscribe, and we can continue on having this wonderful conversation through this show, through the world's famous IC Robots show, through all sorts of extra special bonus content that IC Robots himself is going to have coming down the pike here before beginning season two of the world's famous show. Um, Everything else from the network available to you by liking or subscribing, whatever the parlance is for your preferred podcast platform. But yes, folks, we are here with episode 58 of the show and with this segment that I promised last time once again... I'm I'm being very redundant here, but I had to get that plug in there as well. Uh, Inspired by goings-on on on season one of the world's famous IC Robots show. In particular, a segment that IC Robots, our esteemed uh, station boss, has been doing on that show, which is the Mo2 Minute. Yes, the M-O-T-U, easy for me to say, Minute. M-O-T-U being the acronym for Masters of the Universe, the uh, Mattel toy line that began way, 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 way back when um, that released untold hordes of plastic barbarians um, that inspired a much-remembered animated series from Filmation um, that has had several kind of reboots here and there over the years. Maybe really only one other significant one, I think, actually, now that I think about it, up until recently, wherein we, we are seeing now not one, but two, two new Masters of the Universe animated offerings via Netflix, old Netflix.com. 
Um, one being the more adult-oriented. No, I don't mean adult in that way. I mean, like, adults can appreciate it. The more adult-oriented, Kevin Smith-helmed Masters of the Universe Revelations project. And then another one that I hadn't even really heard of, but um, I See Robots mentioned on his show, on the last episode of the world's famous I See Robots show, um, and then I looked it up and, and to see what he was talking about, and sure enough. Um, there's also a new Masters of the Universe series uh, airing on Netflix.com that is more tailored towards the youth, more tailored towards children. And I don't know that I will be checking that one out because my whole beef with the original um, Masters of the Universe animated series when I was a child, as I have documented on this show in the past, was that it was not grim enough. It was not oriented towards adults enough. I did not like the way that I felt it taught down to me as a child and made this grim world of low sorcery, low fantasy of, of barbarians slinging axes and uh, wretched magicians uh, casting horrid spells, I didn't like how it took the grimness of that world and made it into this dumb joke with Orko and such. And um, I've also documented on the show that I sat down and I attempted to watch the first episode of He-Man uh, or Masters of the Universe Revelations when it first came out and I only made it through the first episode. And I turned it off thinking it was just going to be more of the same nonsense from the original series because it is, in a sense, a continuation from the original series. Um, I thought it was just going to be a lot of ha-ha, Orko, ha-ha-ha, King Randor, ha-ha, Prince Adam, ha-ha-ha. What I didn't realize is that first episode, yes, it was setting all that up only to pull the rug out, to to tear it all t down from the roots, to, to cut everything down from the foundations and build something marvelous in its stead. And thankfully, thankfully, I gave the series a second chance and I went back and I thoroughly enjoyed the rest of that short five-episode series. Um, and I plan to continue watching it once more episodes become available. I feel that the Kevin Smith vision took that familiar show that we remember from our childhood, those of us who are old, old enough to have had that be a part of our childhood, and turned it into something that we can appreciate as adults, something that doesn't talk down to us, something that takes those cozy, familiar characters and tropes but makes it actually watchable and enjoyable. In any case... Back to the Motu Minute on the world's famous IC Robots show. On the Motu Minute, IC Robots uh, unboxes and breaks down various Masters of the Universe toys that he procures in his quest to procure toys of various kinds. But again, Masters of the Universe is a uh, focus area of his. And, and why would it not be? It was, uh, I don't know. For me, I, and I'm not a toy guy, so I'm kind of speaking out of turn here, but I did play with toys. As a kid, I do appreciate toys. I just have never been uh, good at toy collecting, persistent at toy collecting. Um, I would say that G.I. Joe and Masters of the Universe are neck and neck for the top two toys of my childhood. You got to throw the Kenner Star Wars figures in there for sure. That's the one that started it all for me. I feel that Masters of the Universe and um, G.I. Joe surpassed them for me at a certain point, but but that's what started it all. You got to throw in um, Transformers. I know Icy Robots, I don't think, is as much of a Transformers guy, but I certainly was a Transformers guy as a youth, but I never got as deep with Transformers um, as I did with Joe's and Masters of the Universe figures, um, just because they weren't, like, they weren't floating around in the ether as much. I, I feel like... Uh, Transformers toys were hard to come by, kind of a special occasion thing, and Joe's and 
motus. You just kind of find like they drop out of the air in front of you. You know, they, they you walk, you pass a GI Joe bush and they'd be growing off the bush and you just pick a few and go home. You know, they, they were all over the place, all around ubiquitous as the case may be. But yes, I love Transformers as well, so I don't want to give them short shrift. Um, what were some other toys from the era that I still need to throw in? Um, the Marvel um, Secret Wars action figures. Uh, played a lot with those. And the DC ones, gosh, what was that? I can't remember what that line was actually called, but it was the... Um, DC figures where you would squeeze their legs and their arms would punch. I use them a lot as professional wrestlers in my fantasy professional wrestling universe where matches took place in the case for my Sears, what was it, Sears VCS? It was like the Sears version of the Atari 2600. came with a plastic case that went over the console, and if you flipped it upside down, it made a good wrestling ring. Um, got a shout out to those superhero toys. Of course, shout out to Mego, but that's, Migos I played with when I was like really young. Um... So those were kind of my intro, but those were more like my dolls when I was little. And as uh, Icy Robots, I think, has talked about on his shows before, he actually classifies Migos as dolls due to the, um, what do you call it? Like, they actually have hair. The the hair is an articulated plastic. It's like hair that comes out of the head um, and kind of creepy follicles, uh, making them, or follicles, not moth. I just transposed follicles with molecules. Did I call them follicles? I don't know what I'm talking about, folks. Dolls have hair, all right? Migos had hair, hence Migos are dolls, and also they were around when I was pretty young, so I wasn't really in full fantasy action figure universe mode yet in my own mind with all my toys spending hours in my room. I just kind of like walked, toddled around with them, dragging Superman by the leg, dragging Superman by the cape. Aren't you supposed to never tug on Superman's cape? Well, I'm someone that tugged on Superman's cape quite a bit, and Superman didn't have a word to say about it, so take that, Cal-El. Or was Kal-El his dad? No, Jor-El was his dad. Kal-El is Superman, right? I don't know. Who knows? Not not a big Superman guy, though. I I mean, I read a lot of comics in my youth, but, like, I don't know. I don't know. Never a big Superman reader. Where were we going with all of this? I just feel like I'm lost out in the wilderness here, folks. Um, Oh, toys. And then again, I should probably mention uh, iconic toys in the Vegaverse, um... These, again, are not action figures. They're more like figurines where the, where, where the muscle line, Kaniku Man, as they're known in Japan, the, the little muscle wrestling figures. They really shaped the Vegaverse. I don't think I would have. I, I was already, I was a wrestling, pro wrestling fan before muscle. I don't think I would have gotten obs- as obsessed with the idea and the aesthetics of wrestling were it not for muscle. But we're not here to talk about muscle. We're not here to talk about Transformers. We are not here to talk about G.I. Joe. We're not here to talk about Mego. This isn't the Mego Dungeon or whatever, there's some online site that talks about Migos, the Migo something. We're not that. We're here. We are here to talk about He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. So why are we going to talk about him if uh, um, Icy Robots already has the bases covered with the Motu Minute? I don't know. Um, I I guess I'm going to talk about it in a little bit different light because I'm not actively collecting these toys. Although I have thought about um, when our family moves from this current rental house to Sensational Manor 2.0, I've got some action figures in my clutches. A lot of real random wrestling figures um, and little wrestling figurines. 
my brother bought me some kind of 25th anniversary or something, Snake Eyes, um, for my birthday a couple years ago, which I haven't even had a chance to display yet, and I'm going to explain why when I get to the end of this tangent. Um, I got a big box full of random stuff that um, Icy Robots came by the old Sensational Manor shortly before we moved out and gave to me that included some action figures. and I can't even remember what they are now, but the thing is it was so close to when we were moving. I decided I'm going to keep these in this box. I'm going to go through them and add them to my home decor once we move, once I'm setting up a new decor. But see, the thing is we never really set up decor here in this rental house. Now it's been two and a half years. So I still have that box. It's in my bedroom ready to go. But just because this house was always meant to be temporary and then COVID happened, no one was coming over and just we were getting ready to move, but it keeps getting pushed out, but it seemed weird to try to unpack everything and, and decorate here. Very bare bones here. But when we move to 2.0, Sensational Manor 2.0, I will be doing nothing but home decorating, home organizing, etc. for months, and all that stuff's going to go back up there. So it kind of led me to believe I might try to dip a toe into the world that all the rest of you are well drenched in which is the world of toy collecting. I, I will never probably be a bonafide collector because I just can't with my psychology, with my obsessive compulsive tendencies. I cannot allow myself to go there because I think I would go mad because I would want to collect everything and one cannot collect everything. And I'm not good at, um, not good at making those choices. You know, I see some of my collector friends collect a bunch of stuff and they get, they sell some of their stuff. Like I couldn't do that. I would have to keep everything forever. And, um, sensation manner 2.0 would soon be on an episode of hoarders. Um, but I am thinking about adding a few more toys in the mix. But it's neither here nor there. The point is, the Motu Minute got me thinking about what a big part Masters of the Universe and Masters of the Universe toys played in my childhood, played in the formation of the vegan aesthetic worldview. And um, in particular, when he was talking about Faker the other day, I was thinking about how many stories revolved around Faker in my childhood. And I thought, you know what might be fun is to sit down to look at all the uh, generations of um, Masters of the Universe figures that were released, the original, um, not just that original first set, but like the the the, the original wave of, of, of series. We're not talking about re-releases, remakes, remixes. The, everything within that original umbrella of however many years it was. I got to look it up in a second here because I'm so prepared. I haven't even done any of the research for this yet. It's going to be happening on air, live, and improvised. But... Um, I thought it'd be fun to just kind of do a series by series breakdown of those toys and talk about which ones I had or which ones I had access to by way of a friend's house, which ones I never encountered in the wild and um, any stories that I have related to each of these toys. So I don't know how, how much content this is going to generate. It's definitely going to be more than one episode. I don't know how much we're going to get done today. I don't know how much we're going to do in the future. But I'm just going to, now that I've blathered on here for about half the episode to get things started, we're going to take a quick break and I'm going to come back and we're going to start looking at these. We're going to get through maybe a couple today and maybe bring this segment back once in a while. If folks enjoy it, I know I will enjoy it because it actually gives me something built in to talk about. So we'll be right back with a sensational look at my history with Masters of the Universe on the IC Robots Radio Network right here on episode 58 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega Podcast. Masters of the Universe is an absolute disgrace in every way. The latest bit of woke-infested cultural vandalism from someone who either knows nothing about He-Man, cares nothing about He-Man, or just can't be bothered to give a damn about the fans. Once again, Hollywood has taken something beloved by a huge fan base 
Something that speaks to the childhoods of so many. Memories of days after school, watching the adventures of He-Man fighting Skeletor with friends, brothers, sisters, maybe even mom and dad. Precious little moments of our lives that live on in our hearts and memories, treated like garbage by Kevin Smith and his SJW allies, as if our memories, our childhoods, are disposable commodities. And we are back! On episode 58, very special episode 58 of the Mr. Sensational Genovica podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. And uh, just to be clear, that last little bit that you heard on the break was um, intended as parody, intended as a joke. I was making fun of that dork. I was not endorsing his uh, incel views. And um, if the uh, excellent writing and gripping storytelling and creative approach to old tired material that was... Kevin Smith's He-Man Masters of the Universe Revelations uh, was quote-unquote woke, um, then I guess I don't want to go to sleep. Um, and don't get me wrong, it's not like I, I, I'm trying. I'm like an ultra-woke and I'm trying to uh, front that point of view. I'm just showing how moronic these incels are, these mutants are, and what offends them and what they, wait, what they consider... Things that should be perfectly normal to thinking, emoting human beings are quote-unquote woke to them. In any case, we'll leave the incel mutant behind. We'll move on with um, today's episode, with what we are talking about here. Um, So let me get on screen here really quick. Masters of the Universe toys. Um, Nothing like being prepared, right? And it's actually funny. I thought it'd be easier to quickly get a just a list of all the original waves of toys. But um, just poking around here, the first couple of things that came up were all starting in like 2008. So I guess the, the, the SJW warrior allies really are trying to destroy our childhood memories here for us old, angry old men. Um, but here we go. Um, I have I have found it. I found the one bastion where... where um, uh, the, the mean girls haven't tried to take our toys away. Um, here we go. And, and joking, folks. Um, so, Wave 1, 1981. Now, Wave 1, and I'm sure the, the toy scholars out there are already well aware of this, but just for, for reference sake, Wave 1 featured um, heroic warriors He-Man, Man-at-Arms, Stratos, and Tila. Featured evil warriors Beast Man, Merman, Skeletor. Featured a non-aligned individual by the name of Zodak. That's for the figures. For creatures, we had Battle Cat. And we had, for evil warriors, creatures, Screech. Maybe I have to go back to that because I've never actually heard of it. Screech. I I may recognize Screech by uh, sight. um, But as of... This speaking, I have no idea who screeches. Vehicles, we had the Battle Ram, and we had the Wind Raider, and playsets, we had Castle Grayskull. Okay, now folks, let's, t- let's take a step back and take a look at this Wave 1 here. Now, in 1981, I was, let's see, I was born in 76, so I was 77, 78, 79, 80, 81, just as I suspect that I was five years old in 1981 when the first wave of He-Man and the Masters Universe action figures and accessories and creatures and vehicles and playsets were released. And I vividly remember, I talked about this actually, I think, on the very first episode ever, very first episode ever of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. 
about what an impression those toys made to me the first time I saw them. First time I saw them, I was in a toy store called Tom's Toys in San Luis Obispo, California. A toy store that, at least as of a few years ago, still exists. Um, I'm not sure now, but it was there last time I was in San Luis Obispo. I was walking the aisles and I saw these things and I just felt like my life had been changed forever. I, I, I could not envision a toy more aesthetically appealing, more... I don't even know how to describe it. Just igniting of the imagination. When I saw them, I, I just, I could feel like this intractable force pulling me towards them. I, I could almost feel like those grim visages speaking to me telepathically. Come by us and engage us in grim mortal combat! Before that was even a thing, obviously, many years before that was a thing. But just the look of them on the shelf took me to this grimy swords and sorcery place, this this netherworld of, of grim struggle of endless battle between these characters and I wanted to tear them out of those containers and I wanted to enact them in the battles that I saw in my mind. I wanted to use them as the avatars to make real what I had in my imagination and I told my mom and I told my dad, I want those, I need those. They told me, no, you're not getting those. And I was so angry. I was almost as enraged as the, as the toys looked from behind their plastic sheaths um, I was so, it was so uncharacteristic too, because my parents could be killjoys, but were not extreme killjoys. And for as hopped up as I were on these toys, I couldn't believe that they wouldn't let me just get one. I think I might've even had like some spending money, some pocket change. I mean, I was five, so it's not like I was generating my own income, but it, it just seemed very strange that they were saying categorically no. Um, come to find out, it's because the first time I encountered the toys, it was not that long. I think what the issue is, is it was not that long before my fifth birthday. Um, or it could be my sixth birthday, to be honest. I'm not entirely sure. Um, depends on when in 81 that first wave hit. And I don't feel like breaking the narrative thread right now to look it up. But so I was either about to turn five or about to turn six. And they saw how much I was losing my crap over these toys and they realize, well, hey, that's what we and all of his other adult relatives are going to be getting him for his birthday. So I was furious. I was raging against the injustices of my parents only to find a few months later in the month of August that I was showered with He-Man gifts and that's why I didn't get any that first day. So I had a... a Delayed gratification, but I, I got a lot more um, than just the one I would have gotten under norm normal circumstances that first day. And so when I'm looking here at um, wave one, I basically got wave one for that birthday. Because I think, too, it was um, a perfect storm where my mom's side of the family... Um, my mom's parents lived in San Francisco. Her brothers lived in uh, Los Angeles. Her... Um, Sister also lived in San Francisco. So where we lived at the time in Atascadero, California, near the aforementioned San Luis Obispo, we were kind of in between both of them. So I think for whatever reason, it wasn't just because it was my birthday. It was coincidence it was my birthday. But that summer, there was going to be this big family gathering, this big family visit down in L.A. But so what happened is my um, grandparents and my aunt came first down to visit us in Atascadero. Then we all kind of caravaned as a group down to L.A. So... I saw all of the relatives on my mom's side that month 
and they all gave me birthday presents. I wouldn't normally, I don't, I wouldn't have normally gotten as showered with birthday presents, um, save for the fact that I just happened to see like every single member of my mom's side of the extended family that we were trafficking with at that time. And they all gave me presents. They all gave me He-Man toys. So I basically got wave one. So let's, let's break it down. Wave one, starting on the heroic warrior side, starting with He-Man. Now we're all familiar with He-Man. We're all familiar with that angry Conan-esque visage, the blonde sort of bell-shaped haircut. This became a joke many years later when I had my first child. Miss Sensational One, um, Miss Sensational One was follically challenged. She was hair challenged. She did not get a full head of hair till quite a few years into life. And when she was first getting hair, she would get a few long tufts here and then it was still short elsewhere. Um, so by the age of about three, she was finally able to grow, grow hair, but it still wasn't a ton. And so her, she wanted to have long hair, but her long hair was essentially the He-Man haircut. So a joke in the families when she would kind of toddle into the room at, at age three, I'd go like, He-Man! And um, because she'd seen some He-Man um, reruns at the time and some She-Ra on Netflix, she actually thought that was cool and was all into it. Now at age 16, when I still try to like bust out old pictures of her and be like, hey, check this out, He-Man! It doesn't go over as well, but uh, her little sister pops huge for that, as they say in the wrestling business, popping huge is when they crowd makes a big rock yeah when a big star comes out or when they see something they like they pop huge well miss two pops huge when i say he man about miss one's appearance when she was three years old sister things i guess anyway so he man you know we got he man he's got his battle axe he's got his sword he's got his shield he's got that harness he wears he's buffed af and as um icy robots has talked about himself when uh icy robots was talking about his own thoughts on the on the uh, Revelations uh, recent uh, series that He-Man is hands down the most boring, mind-numbingly boring character in the franchise. Now, that's not to say he's not a very important character. He is the linchpin character. But as is often the fact with these kind of fantasy fictional franchises, the linchpin does not make necessarily make for the most interesting character. And the, the perfect um, uh, analogy that IC Robots made was, was comparing He-Man in the Masters of the Universe, his role in that universe, um, to Hulk Hogan in the 1980s WWF. You would not have had Hulk, uh, rock and wrestling. You wouldn't have had the big, huge uh, WWF explosion of popularity in the 1980s without Hulk Hogan. But Hulk Hogan himself... I mean, unless you're like the most boring, unimaginative, casual fan, was the, like the least interesting thing about that cast of characters. But you gotta have that lug, that lunk to keep everything together. So I had He-Man, and He-Man was probably the first one that I opened, the first one that I started playing with. And He-Man was always there throughout my years of playing with Masters of the Universe figures. He was always a constant presence, but he was always also, he was always an also-ran. Like he was there and everyone else was kind of orbiting and doing interesting things around him. And I think that speaks very strongly to why Kevin Smith made the decision he did that enraged so many mutants, that caused so many knuckles to drag in anger um, with this new series. Because how I would not have... That was the whole reason that I tapped the first time I watched the first episode. I didn't realize 
He-Man was actually out of the picture. I figured he'd reemerge in that second episode. Spoiler alert on a show that everyone should have watched by now if they haven't already watched it. So what, what do you want from me? But um, yeah, so uh, anyway, that's He-Man. I had He-Man. Looking at him here, and it's so funny, I'm looking at this picture of him, and you can Google him yourself, the original He-Man toy. And for as boring as a character as he is, it's just, it's crazy what a visceral impact this toy made on me. I, I'm looking at the shield, the, you know, the, the circular iron shield with the little dot rivets, and then it's got, you know, four little uh, cutouts in the shield with like this orange color coming through. And I still wistfully remember that orange color. I, I, I just, I, I remember the feeling that it engendered in me as a five or six year old, just this feeling of, of, of just fantastical bliss. Had he, man. Um, anything else of note of him here? Um, uh, not that I'm going to get into now. Um, I, I mean, you can look all this stuff up. Um, it, one thing that is interesting to talk to remember about this first wave is how they came with those little mini comics that were quite different, um, than, um, the He-Man characters that were presented once the filmation show began. And I'm actually reading here, um, uh, it's talking about the fact that He-Man, the way that the original toys were, that He-Man possessed one half of the power sword, Skeletor possessed the other. You could put them together and it would be a key to Castle Grayskull. And uh, th this was a huge thing with the toys, with that first wave. It was just, just absolutely uh, a compelling feature. Um, and it's talking about how in one of the early illustrated stories, one of the early... Uh, little mini comics that came with the toys. I'm reading this off of some of he-man.fandom.com. Um, the He-Man and Skeletor actually united their two power swords halves to form that true power sword in order to defeat a common enemy. Um, and it's, uh, it's saying here now I, I remember this differently, but it's probably just cause I'm trans, uh, you know, mixing and matching my memories. Um, that the two halves of the sword thing was not used in the filmation cartoon. However, it was, taken over and used in a black star. If you remember that cartoon. Now the thing about the cartoon black star, I was a big fan of that cartoon and I feel like black star was much truer to that savage low sorcery stuff that you found in the original mini comics than the later He-Man filmation series was. Um, interesting. Interesting. Uh, continuing on a bit here with wave one. We uh, move on to Man at Arms, who I also had. And I found Man at Arms fascinating um, as a child because of the contrast he provided to He-Man. Um, you know, he was presented, as he kind of always has been in the, in the series, like He-Man's number one guy, He-Man's uh, sidekick, He-Man's... He -Man's, I wouldn't say little buddy, because in, in some ways he's almost kind of an elder statesman to He-Man. Um, but... Uh, I guess, you know how I would describe him, and this isn't a perfect analogy, but for me, for the way I played with He-Man toys, Man-at-Arms was always kind of like, Man-at-Arms to He-Man was Merlin to King Arthur. And I'm not saying that Man-at-Arms was a uh, wizardy guy, far from it, but just he was that kind of like, uh, in a way, more powerful, in a way, um, but older, so also weaker. Uh, but just, this is kind of like, uncle fatherly counseling character to the dumb main character. But in any case, the, the, the contrast that interest me, interested me with this character was how, how where He-Man was all Conan, low fantasy, uh, Man-at-Arms presented this almost sort of like high-tech sort of um, 
science fiction fused with low fantasy imagery because he had like all the kind of like fancy circuitry looking stuff on his breastplate and he had all the gear and like where he-man's weapons were just like you know kind of caveman axe and a magic sword you know man at arm stuff all looked very crafted and um like he had access to um a lot more technology than um he-man himself did that, that he brought that to the table he brought this sort of jagged edge of broken technology to he-man's knuckle dragging barbarism so we're still in that grim world of low fantasy but now we bring some uh mangled circuit boards to the party and i always thought that was kind of a cool meshing moving on with the heroic warriors from that 1981 wave one of uh masters of the universe toys uh we arrive at stratos now, Stratos um, was a sort of a Birdman character. Um, I'm sure you all remember him. Uh, very hairy chest, Stratos. Um, uh, fortunately, this was not doll hair, because <laughs> I can only imagine if, if, if all the body hair that this individual had had been like actual strands of synthetic hair that would have gotten kind of gross. This was just articulated plastic in the shape of hair all over his chest and arms. Very hairy Stratos. Um, and then he had, um, wings, kind of wing armbands that went on his arms and, um, aviator looking face. Like he had aviator type goggles and a helmet. Um, Stratos, I don't, um, recall heavily how he was presented in the filmation cartoon. I remember that my perception of Stratos when I had him as a five or six year old child um, was that he was sort of uh, the geek of the heroic warrior crew. By geek, I don't mean someone that was into cell phones and laptops or whatever. I mean geek in the way that the term is used in professional wrestling parlance, in which um, a geek is sort of a dork, is sort of is like a jobber, is someone who doesn't win. He's there, he's cannon fodder. Stratos always struck me as cannon fodder for the heroic side. And I don't know if this was based on something that I saw in one of those early mini comics or not. At some point, I should probably go back and look at what the mini comics were actually about. So I don't, again, I don't know if this was an image that was implanted in my mind from something that I saw or just how the character came across to me. But I always pictured like if someone got captured from the heroic side and then was like tortured for information about He-Man and the rest of the crew. Well, Stratos was your guy for that. Stratos was the guy, I pictured him like beaten and bloodied, captive somewhere by the evil forces of Skeletor. And again, I don't know exactly where that came from. Maybe it's the idea that he had feathers and he could pluck the feathers. But yeah, poor Stratos in my mind was sort of the geek of the crew, but he was a part of the crew nonetheless. And he was part of that collection of wave one toys that I received in that very fortuitous early uh, dump of Masters of the Universe toys that I received. I, I think I just said received twice, but we were going to live with it as uh, we wind down this very special episode 58. Moving on, um, we move to the ever important Tila. Now, Tila was um, interesting when I was five or six, because the year was 1981, and um, it was a time period where um, incels and mutants could breathe a sigh of relief. 
Because boys were boys and girls were girls and never the twain shall meet. And boys played with uh, boy toys and girls played with Betty Crocker Easy Bake Ovens. Um, interesting fact, I actually coveted uh, girls' toys when I was a kid. And I think it was just because of the exoticism. Because, you know, I was a boy in 1981, so I only hung out and played with boys for the most part. I had a brother. I played with boy toys. But then occasionally I'd be at like a family friend's house where there was a girl and I'd see all her stuff. And it's like, I've never seen any of this stuff in the wild. This is crazy. Like all this crazy pink, bright Barbie stuff and strawberry shortcakes. And like, bro, you've got your own oven in your room? Are you serious? A little jealous of that. A little jealous. I'm not going to lie. Um, but anyway, uh, very um, gender segregated were the 1980s uh, world of fantasy and fiction and so on and so forth. So there weren't a lot of female toys in the mix. But every line, just like just like uh, Strawberry Shortcake had to have Huckleberry Finn, like the lone dude. Then I guess the purple pie man was like a heel, a male heel. Um, so too did Masters of the Universe have to have the obligatory female character. And the obligatory female character, Tila, was. As such, I feel that in that early iteration, she was not very well articulated. Um, I don't mean like the character wasn't well, the toy wasn't well articulated. I just mean like the character wasn't given a lot of legs to, to, to stand on. Like, I don't, I don't remember much about Tila. It's like, oh, there's the girl. Um, I do remember it was very interesting how snake-oriented she was. And this kind of got dropped, I think, at some point in the franchise because I'm looking at the picture of the original Tila and I remember she came with this snake headdress and a cobra, like, snake staff. And um, to be perfectly honest, I received Tila in that first dump of toys, but I neglected Tila until a little bit later when Evil Lynn came on the scene. And uh, we will get to that when we get to wave two. I will also say that I think it's it's safe to say now that Tila is the character that benefited the most from not only um, the uh, horrendous SJW turn with Revelation where she was turned into a main character, God forbid, um, but even in the filmation animated series, even if I wasn't the big, biggest fan of that series, the character got much more of a spotlight once she became a character on screen than when I feel she was more of an afterthought as a toy. Um, but the afterthought was right there in my collection of that first wave. Um, that completes the heroic warriors of wave one. And I honestly think because we are 38 minutes into the episode today, I'm going to take a pause here, but we are going to continue next week. Um, hopefully this isn't just hated content and no one wants to hear me talk about Motu ever again, but I feel like I'm just getting started here. I'm going to bring it back next week and we're going to continue winding our way through wave one. Um, there'll be much less preamble. I'll just get right into it next time because I won't have to tee up what I'm talking about. We'll just right, right from, from second one, I'm just saying they won't even do, do intro, just because, okay, next, Beast Man, and we'll just start talking. We'll be able to finish wave one in, in a timely fashion. Once wave one is done, how many waves were there? Um, seven waves. And I'm looking at the waves, and I was only a significant participant up through... Four of them. 
So I don't know if I'll look at the ones that I know nothing about, but maybe I will. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but four waves for sure. I don't know. We'll take a pause and we'll see after wave one next week if I will just continue to power through in the next few episodes where we'll continue to focus on this topic or if I'll set it aside and come back from time to time. I might do that. I don't know. We'll find out next time. Until then, thanks for bearing with me and we will be back next time for a little more Motu talk at the very least. Until then, I'm your host, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega. This has been a very special episode 58 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. And this is that time when I'm going to tell you that I am signing off. For eternity, I master all the universe. universe. My soul will give me power to I leave the earth. Leave the earth. I leave the earth. Not a barbarian. When it comes to them, there's no comparison. Embarrassing. I'm about my life. Shred those with that air time. Just imagine my workflow. Straight magic like Orca. Can't take as the moss man. Can't camouflage my true growth. Never hanging with Zodak. My side will eat way new. So I call them out like an umpire, like a vertebrae, they backfire. I'm supernatural in that attire, cause I'm at your neck like a vampire. So get your grip like a rock climber, GPS your pathfinder. You don't